It's always an exciting time to be in church when we celebrate our great state, the state of Texas. But also we come with a sense of apprehension, fear, trepidation, because of what we're seeing in Chernobyl and what we're seeing, the evil pouring out of Russia. And someone told me before we came in here today that Putin is already rattling atomic and nuclear power. When you get a madman, a Mussolini, a Hitler, a Mao, and Putin with unbelievable destructive power, the world is in trouble. It's not like we did not have enough trouble already. And you look at our America from any perspective you want to talk with me about it. And we see leadership, city, state, Washington, that somehow has missed the basic priorities of what needs to get our focus and our first attention. And when you have leadership who are inadequate, misguided, who have a worldview different from the Judeo-Christian worldview upon which our America was founded, the whole citizenry is in big, big trouble. We were created with our constitution, our bylaws, our founding fathers to be a nation under God. And when a nation or an individual moves out from, under, out from under the authority of the Almighty. And that's what's happened to us. That's exactly and tragically where we are. Not under God, but there's a whole left-wing progressive aspect of our society who wants us to be under the government. So as we pray for those in the Ukraine, let's pray that somehow God will begin with that long prayed for revival. It has to begin when I draw a circle around myself and I kneel in the middle of that circle 
and ask God Almighty through Jesus Christ to bring revival in that circle, that's where I must begin, and that's where every one of us also must begin. Let's do that for a moment right now. If you can kneel where you are, let's do that. Father, as we look at the scripture today, we'll come right to this point where we are, that we don't really know how to pray. Are we hearing now the first sounds of the trumpet? When Christ will come and bring down the curtain of history? Or is this just a time of great extremity, an opportunity for those of us who know thee through Christ to awaken from a long complacent slumber and to bow the knee, to open the mind, and to ask your spirit, if we are indeed in Christ, to come and bring that quickening, that renewal, that forgiveness, that cleansing, that wholeness within each and every one of us who kneel before you today. Lord, in this time of teaching, you speak. Let me get out of the way so that thy word and thy word alone might be heard. For this is our church prayer, our corporate prayer, our individual prayer, made in the strong, beautiful, saving, cleansing, healing, magnificent name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We've been studying the book of Romans, but we've really narrowed it down to the greatest chapter perhaps in all the Bible. We've called it the goat, the greatest of all time. And we said that if you and I get Romans chapter eight, we sort of got it. We've got the foundation of becoming a Christian, living the Christian high life, and the promise of paradise with thee forever and forever. It's all wrapped up in these 39 verses. And it is a thrilling thing to understand and to comprehend and to get some things incorporated into our minds. Now, I apologize as we go through Romans because tragically, Everybody here is going to have to think. Go to church and think? What in the world? I want to be entertained. I want to be thrilled. I want to laugh. Sure, that's a part of it. But in the meantime, we'd better have a place upon which we stand. Has anybody here ever accomplished anything in life without thinking, without application? It doesn't happen. So here we have the wonderful, fabulous privilege of getting the basic doctrines down concerning our faith and our life with Jesus Christ. What is doctrine? Truth, 
Big word. It's just truth. Doctrine is God's truth explained to us, communicated to us through the book, the Bible, the inspired and errant word of God, but also communicated to us in the experience of your life and my life. It is natural revelation we have in all of creation, then there is special revelation we have through God speaking with his spirit to these who wrote these inspired, powerful words down. So we're learning about truth. We come to Romans chapter number eight, and we've already marched through verses one through verse 17. Well, what was that? Let me give you an overall review. The first five verses of Romans 8 tells us how we are free in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ sets us free. Free from our past, free from regrets, free from the if-onlys, and free from I should have. We're free from, all, free from words we've spoken we wish could, could capture them and put them back inside. He sets us free from everything. And the first four or five verses of Romans 8 tells us that because of Jesus Christ, if we are in Christ, remember that, we're in Christ. He's running our life. He's the center of your life and my life. We are absolutely free in Christ. That's the message, that's the good news. That's a fabulous, astounding, almost unbelievable truth. We're all free, we're liberated. That's stated by Paul in those first four or five verses. Then we begin with verse, really five, through verse 17, Paul tells us how we stay free. It's one thing to be free, but how do you stay free? How do you live it out? And we're introduced to the power of the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit power enables us and induces us to stay free. We don't go back in bondage. How did that happen? We talked about, remember, you set your mind on physical stuff. We set our minds on spiritual stuff. Suddenly we see life in a totally another dimension. We have our physical life here, but there's another dimension implored in you and me, and that's how we stay free. We have our mindset, those neural pathways we talked about. And then we come to verse 18, and we're going to have a long study today, but it's going to be powerful and piercing because verse 18 is what I call a thesis sentence. It's a topical sentence. Remember when we were in school, they were trying to teach us how to write. They said, you start off with a topical sentence, a thesis sentence, remember? And by the way, when you really study Paul and sleep with him and look at what he's saying, I dare say there's never been hardly anybody more brilliant than this man was, not counting his walk with God, just sheer Brilliance. No one debates that, by the way. Even just to read his works from a totally secular, humanistic view. There's few people. And here is Paul classically writing to us. Now, remember where we are. 
This is how he set us free in Jesus Christ. Here's the Holy Spirit. Here's how we live that life. And then he goes back and he says a topical sentence that we need to understand. That's verse 18. Listen to it. Paul says, for I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. So here we have groaning, suffering, and glory together. Now think about it. Remember the primary thing we're learning in Romans chapter 8 is that we're in the family, right? We got it. We're there. We, we, we have been inherited. We're like a brother or sister to, G, to Jesus Christ, and we can pray to God, Abba, Father. I mean, what, what, if you want an entree to somebody that's really got all the stuff in the world, and man, you're really close to them, and they have everything available, just think, now because of Jesus Christ, we can say, Dad, to our Heavenly Father. Just settle in on that. See how magnificent that is, how supernatural that is, how powerful that is. But now, as he's given us this assurance, remember the theme of Romans 8? It shows us how the Holy Spirit works, but primarily Paul is saying you are safe. You have eternal safety. Everything you have in Christ, you can't lose it. It is there with you now and forever and forever. So he's talking about eternal security. And now he does a bizarre thing. He talks about suffering. By the way, all those phony people who stand up here where I stand in so-called churches and talk about, well, if you pray right, you believe right, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and, and you'll never have any trouble, any problems. The only problem with that, it is not biblical. It is a lie of the devil himself, but it's purported in churches all over the place. It's astounding to me. Astounding to me. Paul is here saying, look, you're going to have some groaning in this life. Anybody want to debate with that? I could list all kinds of groaning. The word groaning here means, man, it, it is a death cry. It is a ferocious thing. It is, it is pain that comes from health problems, from death in members of your family, from, from situations in your vocation, from when you're brokenhearted, when a friend betrays you. I mean, it is all built in there. We groan, sometimes verbally, sometimes inwardly, but in this life, there will be groaning. I take my life just quickly in the relationship thing. My dad has left this earth. My mother's left this earth. My younger brother, my wife, my granddaughter. You think there's not groaning involved in that in a human perspective? And by the way, you say, well, I've never experienced all that. Just live a little while. You will. Guaranteed. Write it down. And so, therefore, there will be groaning. Vocational chat, all of it, all of it. And here he says, the groaning that we have today, and that's for Christian and non-Christian, there's groaning. It's nothing compared with, follow me closely, with the glory that is to come. Here's groaning, here's glory, 
And Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians. He says, we have these little bitty, you know, peanut things in life. It sounds big to me. He said, these little peanut things, these little temporary problems we have in all this vast scope of life, it's nothing compared to the glory that's going to come. And the word glory is, is a fabulous word. It's mentioned all the way through the Bible. Remember we said it means weight? Compared to the weight, the significance that we're going to have, all of this we go through that we cry and we lament and we have all kinds of challenging situations in every area of life. Paul says, that's not anything, anything. It's peanuts compared to the weight of glory. And glory has about it a, a, a beauty, a joy, a radiance, the Shekinah there. All of this is nothing compared to the glory that's going to come. I tried to think of a way to illustrate that. I bumped into something. Just imagine, if you would, here are two men. And let's say they're, they're alike in every way. One of them has this house. Another one has an identical house. And they both are given the same assignment. Follow me now. Their assignment is to move all of these heavy rocks by hand from one side of the house to the other side of the house within a month, within a month. It is grunt work. And so they have the same task, the same house, the same ability, and they have to work 14 hours a day, 14 hours a day to accomplish this. Follow me. So here's one over here. Man, he is moving. It's a hard thing. No time to eat, hard to sleep, moving these rocks, one side to the other. The other man is doing the same thing, moving these rocks from one side to the other. No light, no relief, no help, no applause. That's just their assignment. Now, this man over here, Working 14 hours a day, that kind of hard, tough, manual labor will take its toll on you. So after about two weeks, he just was exhausted. He just gave up. Can't do it. The other man over here, man, after two weeks, he was built up. He said, man, and he was moving all those rocks 14 hours a day. He was thrilled. Same assignment, same ability. This man thrilled, this man totally gave up. You know the difference? The difference was when this man finished the task in a month, he was promised $12,000 a year for the rest of his life. He gave up, wasn't worth it. This man over here was promised $200 million a year the rest of his life. You see any difference? Boy, this man, oh man, I'm two weeks gone by, I can hardly wait. Man, he's moving those rocks, he's sweating it out 14 hours a day, $200 million a year. This guy over here sweating it out, $12,000 a year, I quit. Do you follow me? The groaning, compares nothing to the glory. 
What we're going through now is nothing compared to the glory that will come beginning now. Oh yeah, it's not just in eternity. And then ever increasing, ever increasing all the time that we live till we walk right into that permanent glory. Did you get it? Look at the difference. Paul is saying, whatever we're going through now, <laughs> this groaning, you can't even compare it to the glory that he gives us and the glory that will come. That's the introduction. Now we get down to business. That's the thesis sentence. Look at verse number 19. We'll go all the way through, if we can, to verse 27. We're going to see here groaning, groaning that comes to creation in hope. By the way, let me define the word hope biblically for you. I don't like the word hope. I don't use the word hope much. If you listen to me because you have to explain it because you and I think hope is maybe wishful thinking. It would be nice. I hope. I imagine. I don't know. The biblical word for hope is not that word. It's used as hope, but hope biblically means an anticipated, exciting reality. Does that change the mean? Hope in the Bible means, man, I am thrilled about what is going to happen and I am confident it will happen and I'm telling you, you can count on it happening. That's what the word hope in the Bible means. Not all this, well, it would be nice. You got it? So here we see groaning of creation in hope. And look at it in verse, number in verse number 19. For the earnest expectation of creation, by the way, that means tiptoe. Creation is on tiptoe, this cosmos. Eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation is groaning, but creation is eagerly awaiting for the sons of God. What in the world does that mean? It means when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, a part of the penalty for that was the fall, but human beings did not fall. All of creation came under the curse. Remember that now Adam had to make a living by working in the ground and the ground had been cursed. That was the curse upon creation. And therefore it's saying creation is on tiptoe looking forward to the sons of God. What is that moment? That is when Christ comes and brings down the curtains of history, and we all who are in Christ will receive our resurrection bodies. Remember, this body is not going to make it, and then we'll live forever on a new heaven and a new earth, a whole new creation. Revelation 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, the first heaven, the first earth had passed away, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God like a bride adorned for her husband. This is the creation that will come. A bride adorned for her husband. Let me tell you something. I have never seen a bride that was not beautiful. A couple of them barely made it. But I'm telling you, that is what we're seeing. 
a new heaven and new earth, and creation is, is groaning right now in the fallen state in which we find it. And look at the rest of the verses here about the groaning of creation, but it's groaning in, there's our word, hope. For the creation was subjected to futility, that's the curse, and willingly, not willingly, but because of him who subjected in hope. Who put the curse on the world? God did when Adam and Eve rebelled and took over their own lives. And therefore, there is a futility in creation today. See the rest of it. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty, there's our word, freedom of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. The world in which we live is a fallen world and the whole creation is groaning. Well, you doubt that? Show you something. Maybe you don't know this. Almost every sound you hear from creation, the non-human world, is in the minor key. Is in the minor key. The sound of the waves on the shore, minor key. The song of most birds, minor key. The howl of a wolf, minor key. The growl of a bear, minor key. The sounds of a hurricane, a typhoon, minor key. All the sounds of nature, virtually, with few exceptions, are in the minor key. What's the minor key? It's the dirge key. It's the the sounds of creation. That's the groaning of this earth, the groaning of this world. The exploitation. By the way, we're all environmentalists in the best sense of the word. We're not fruitcakes. We're not John Kerry's, thank God. But I'll tell you, we, we know we are stewards of this earth. We've been given that responsibility, and all of us are stewards in every area of life. But a lot of the earth has been raped by exploitation. For example, the great problem we have now in Brazil and those around the forest. We could talk about the ozone, a lot of things. There's some legitimacy there. And we're to be stewards of all this because all of creation is fallen. It is groaning. It is in the minor creek key, the howl of wolf. Minor key, like a dirge. It's the crying out of the earth for redemption, for a new birth. And that's what happens when Christ comes. We will live here with our resurrection body in a new heaven and a new earth that God's going to bring down for us at that time, just like he created this earth. That is the groaning that we hear. And what would we like to hear? What will happen then? It'll not be in the minor key. It'll be in a major key. And the major key is light. There's a lot of difference in da, 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 da. And zippity-doo-dah, zippity-ay, my, oh, my, what a wonderful. There's a lot of difference, isn't it? In the dirge, the groaning, and the zip, the major, the major key. God help you if you're married to a minor key person. <laughs> it's not with loud or quiet, I and mean, that's not minor or major key, but it's with a glow, it's with anticipation of life. So here we see all the earth is groaning. 
in hope. What does that hope mean? An assured future that will be beautiful. And here we see groaning and glory working together again. So we see the creation is groaning in hope for that day, in the resurrection day. As we are resurrected, so this world will be resurrected. That is a fabulous promise that the Bible and God gives to us. Look at the next thing. That not only does the creation groan, but we groan. You and I groan. And look, by the way, the latter part, look at verse 22. It says, with birth pains. In other words, the groaning of creation is like birth pains. Uh, when your wife was having a baby, you didn't say, I want to take a picture to show how she looked when she was having a baby. No, 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 no. That's just the groaning, the pains of birth that Paul is talking about here. We take a picture when that baby is born in the mother's arm and there's a radiance and a glory there that we can't even describe. There's not adjectives enough to explain it. You see, that's the pain that we go through now in creation, anticipating for the birth of that new creation, that pristine world. Also, we groan as Christians, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves. What does that mean? It means that we have a sample. We have just a sample of the glory right now in Christ. We don't have all of it, we have a, a sample of it. It's just the beginning of it, it's just a taste of it. It's just, I like to say, it's, it's hors d'oeuvres before the glory that is on the way. First fruits, by the way, that's, all the Jews would understand that because when they had a harvest, the first fruits they would grow, they would take and they would wave it in the air. That's a wave offering. They'd wave it in the air and that would say, this belongs to God, therefore the whole harvest which will yet come belongs to God. You got it? Oh, it's a beautiful, beautiful passage there. First fruits of the Spirit, all in the Holy Spirit, even we ourselves grown within eagerly awaiting, there again, that tiptoe for the adoption. Wait a minute. We thought we'd already been adopted. Hadn't we gone through that? Is Paul confused? He just said, we were adopted in the family of God if you were here last week. And we have full right of, of children, more rights really than a natural born son or daughter. And now he said, we are adopted. But look at the rest of the phrase and the redemption of the body, waiting for the redemption of, we are already adopted. In other words, in the Bible there is that already, and there's that not yet. Already, we're adopted in the family, and we have all the privileges here limited on this earth, but there will be a day when there will be a resurrection of the body and we'll be fully adopted. We will, as Paul says in Corinthians, we will know as we have been known. Isn't that fabulous? Know as we have been known. Then the adoption will be totally complete in heaven. Eagerly awaiting, that's tiptoe, Redemption of the body, for we were saved in this hope, remember hope, confidence that will come, but hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But we hope for what we do not see, then we eagerly wait with 
perseverance. We see that right here. You just turn a little bit to the left in your Bible, 2 Corinthians. For our light affliction, our light affliction, here's this guy, didn't much have hope, he gave up, it was too tough for him. This guy over here, man, he worked, he followed through. He got 200 million a day a year, he got 12. You see, this affliction we go through here is relatively light. If you have your fingernails clipped, it's different from open heart surgery. Am I going too fast for anybody? The point is, whatever we experience here is light affliction compared to the glory of the 200 million, which is nothing forever and forever. We need to see that. But in the meantime, we're gonna have some affliction is working for us in a more exceeding eternal weight, remember the word glory, eternal weight of glory. Go back to it. Now also it tells us, follow me, we know that creation groans in hope, for it's gonna happen, sure. We know that we as Christians groan in hope, and the word hope is in both those sections. Now we come, it says the Holy Spirit groans. Well, look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our, in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit itself makes an intercession for us with groaning, which cannot be endured. And by the way, the Holy Spirit groans and rolls up his sleeves. Did you get that? Creation groans, hoping for what come out, new creation. We groan, knowing, hoping, confident what's going to come out, our resurrected body. But the Holy Spirit groans and rolls up his sleeves. What am I talking about? That's the little word helps. The Holy Spirit groans on our behalf and helps us. Helps is a little bitty word. Now, don't get blown away. There's a big old Greek word, and I, I, you know, I just know a Greek who has a a restaurant, I don't know much Greek, but the Greek word is soon anilambanotai. Helps, it would be soon anilambanotai. It's a big word, but man, it is one of those, remember I talked about pregnant words, we look for to understand the Bible, you find those big words. Soon means with, anti means on the other side. Lombano time means to take hold of. What's this all about? It says we don't know how to pray. We're not good prayers. We don't know what to say. We're not sure it's going to get through. But the Holy Spirit comes and goes on the other side where we are. And with us, he takes hold of soon when we pray that which we're praying about. I don't want to confuse you. Soon with now goes on the other side the holy spirit goes right where we are right what we're praying about right what we're concerned about right what we're rejoicing about right where we want leadership about and it takes hold of us and the holy spirit prays when we don't know how to pray well i know how to pray no we don't man if god had answered my prayer i would be, be married when I was a teenager to a totally different girl. Thank God he didn't answer that prayer. 
I can tell you a lot of stupid, foolish, cursory prayers I've uttered, and they were absolutely ridiculous in the light of what I know now. So when we're praying, and a lot of times in a crisis time, in, in, in a time of indecision, we just don't know how to pray, and we're afraid we'll say it wrong. Don't worry about it. Because if we're in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes over on the other side where we are with our mumbling and our groaning and our not knowing how to pray, and he takes hold of us, and he makes the right intercession to the Father. The Holy Spirit takes our word, and with groanings, our groanings, he takes our groanings, and they go up to Jesus Christ, who's at the right hand of God, and Jesus Christ interprets them to the Father. What does the Holy Spirit do when you and I pray? The Holy Spirit prays for you and I the prayer that, follow me carefully, we would pray if we knew everything God knows. Did you get that? That's so big you ought to jump up and down and say, I get it. I get it. If we knew everything God knows, man, how we'd know how to pray, wouldn't we? That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. That's that big old pregnant word, sunani lambanotilum, takes hold of us. The Holy Spirit prays for us. And that is so thrilling to me. That is so magnificent to me. We don't know how to pray, but the groaning, the Holy Spirit groans, and he rolls up his sleeve and said, don't worry about it. I've got it. You're in my family. And he takes that petition to God. You say, does prayer change God? No. Prayer changes circumstances. Yes. And we are to pray with importunity. That means we, we pray and we pray and we pray. We say, well, I don't believe God is paying any attention. No, we pray and we pray. And 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us to pray without ceasing. How do you do that? It means all the time, and I don't want to be super pious with you. I can be laughing or doing a lot of things. And there's just a sense of, of prayer. You know, Lord, be with me. I don't utter it always. Just help God, this man, this situation, this woman, this couple, this life. Help me right now to get through. I mean, we just breathe these little prayers constantly, not with a pious whine, but we just pray confidently. And it's sort of an unceasing. This is a part of him being the center of your life and my life. And sometimes, someday, it'll become so natural, you won't even think about it. I was looking at this passage, I said, you know, Lord, oh, that's what I'm doing. That's that spirit that's within us. And so we know that we pray. And we remember to whom we're praying. All these people, oh, God, I command you in the name of Jesus. That is so blasphemous. It's just hard to me to handle. Man, who are we talking to? Man, who are we listening for? We lose the awe and the fear of God. Ladies and gentlemen, you've lost everything. So we are to pray without ceasing. And we're to listen when we pray. And then we know that God will come and take all of our mumblings and with the groaning of the Holy Spirit to the Heavenly Father, our prayers will have. If we are righteous, folks, 
Read off say, the effective prayer of a fervent, righteous man or woman is powerful. If somebody's just slopping through this life, their prayers doesn't mean a hill of beans. We want people who are praying and living a righteous life, not perfect, somebody who is living that kind of life, knowing they're filled with the Spirit, knowing they're not perfect, but living that kind of life, that's the kind of people I want praying for me and praying for you and praying for our world. So prayer is a powerful thing. It, it is a thrilling thing. And by the way, you don't have to pray all day with all, dear Heavenly Father, O righteous, omnipotent one who dwells. No, no, no. Don't quote scripture to God. He already knows all of it. Did you know that? The desert fathers, you need to read them. Man, these godly men and women of another age locked themselves up in the desert of Egypt and they lived there for decade after decade and they prayed and you read their writings and they said they learned how to pray short little prayers. Short little sincere prayers. Don't worry about all the verbiage, all the piosity. Just wait and talk. Those prayers reveal your heart, your, your emptiness. Prayer is getting naked before God. And he, the Holy Spirit takes that and Boy, he just lets it take wings and takes our little mumbling, groaning prayers. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And then look at the end of this. It says, that leads us to God's will. And next week, I'm going to talk about God's will. That's our subject. How do you know God's will, God's plan for your life, my life, now, in whatever stage of life we're in? And see how fabulous this is for us. Groanings a prelude to glory, and there's no comparison. And we know that the creation groans for but in hope of there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Hope meaning the confidence that that will be. And we know also that we groan as Christians, but we know the groaning is just a foretaste of the glory that we'll have somewhat here on this earth and we'll have the full expanse of it in heaven when it comes. And then the Holy Spirit groans. <laughs> the Holy Spirit groans on our behalf and causes you and me to pray the prayer that we would pray if we knew everything God knows. A foretaste of glory divine. I've got a bus pulling up out here. It's going to take us all to heaven. Are you ready to go? Absolutely, I'm ready to go. And that's the genius of life. In the Dutch section of Indiana, there's a man named Billy Brown. He was a giant of a man. Humble, successful, beloved, Middle of the church, powerful, everybody loved Billy. I mean, everybody loved him. Generous. He was a personal witness for Jesus Christ. He just lived it, and he explained it, and he called people to faith in the best kind of way. And everybody loved Billy. When he died, he left specific instructions for what 
his wife and family was to do. He said, I want to be placed in the church in the casket. I want the casket to be open. And he told the suit that he wanted to have on. And he said, also, I want you to put a fork in my hand, a fork. And so his wife and family knew what that meant. But Billy knew that people would come by all the city, and a lot of them he hadn't shared Christ with. He said, when they saw that fork in his hands, they would ask, what is that? And he said, this will be a chance for me to witness when I've already graduated. Because he said, that fork will point them to what my life has been all about. And so sure enough, countless hundreds of people came by because Billy was a big, giant, powerful man. And they all asked about the fork and they had a chance to tell everybody who asked, Billy just wanted you to know that he's having dessert. 